Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Leslie Cast's Sally Solari food mystery series is spiced just right to tempt readers back for second helpings with razor-sharp plotting, a vibrant Santa Cruz setting, and the bonus of some great recipes for you to cook yourself. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and today Leslie talks about Murder from Scratch, the fourth book in what she calls her Snarky Cozies, and about transitioning from law to full-time writing. But before we talk to Leslie, just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Leslie's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Leslie. Hello there, Leslie, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. It's so great to be talking halfway, I think, halfway around the world from California to New Zealand. It's really fabulous. (laughs) That's right. We're joined by the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Look, was there a once upon a time moment when you decided you wanted to write fiction as distinct from other things you might have been writing? And if so, was there a catalyst for it? You know, uh, I've I've always been fascinated by words and language since I was a little kid, Uh, but I never actively planned to be a writer. Um, But somehow I ended up writing for most of my life. Uh, As a college student, I was a literature major, so I wrote a lot of uh, papers about literary criticism. Um, And then after I graduated, I dabbled in poetry. And in my angst-ridden 20s, um, I moved over to writing songs for a couple of bands. I had a new wave band in the 80s. And then and then later in the 1990s, I had a country rock band called Electric Range uh, that I formed with my sister. Um, and then after that, I went on to law school and I became a lawyer. And I spent 20 years writing research mem- memos and appellate briefs. So... There it was. I, by the time I was ready to retire, you know, as a lawyer, I realized writing must be in my blood. So uh, I said, I'm going to have to continue writing. Um, but at that point, I decided I wanted to do something new. And that's why I decided to, to uh, go to fiction. Completely different from legal briefs. <laughs> Certainly. And so you've now written four books in your Sally Solaro mystery series. It's a culinary series set in a restaurant. Features a lot of food. Mm-hmm. I just wondered two questions, really. Why did you choose mysteries as your genre, and how did you come upon the culinary theme for them? Well, as I said, I, when I decided to switch to fiction, um, I I settled on mysteries partly because I'd read them a lot as it, when I was younger, um, but I also thought it, it, I realized that crafting the twists and turns of a murder mystery, I realized that that's actually not that different from the detail-oriented work that one employs when you're drafting a legal brief. So, uh, and, and it turns out I was right about that. Um, and so that's why I went to the mysteries. Plus, come on, they're fun. <laughs> Everybody likes a puzzle. <laughs> and of course, the food aspect. You know, I've been obsessed with taste and the texture and the presentation of food 
uh, ever since I was a kid. Um, and as a result, I actually ended up going to culinary arts school while I worked as a lawyer and got a degree in that. And um, guess which I liked better. <laughs> Uh, and so when I decided to try my hand at writing a mystery novel, I, it seemed like a no-brainer that it had to involve food and cooking. I, you know, it, I just I had to. But it was and, and food mysteries are popular, so I thought, okay, I can combine these two and really have a good time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now Sally's restaurant is an old-style Italian eatery in Santa Cruz, and that kind of probably I think combines another couple of threads in your story. Yeah. It's obvious you love Santa Cruz. You've been praised for the very deep sense of place that the books have. And also I wonder if, if there is some Italian in your own heritage. Well, I'll start with that first. I had my DNA tested a few years ago, and I was sorely disappointed to learn that, no, I have no Mediterranean blood in me at all. Uh, I still wanted to. <laughs> So, but but Santa Cruz um, has a lot of Italians in 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 uh, our community, and so so what happened was okay. I moved to Santa Cruz from the Los Angeles area back in the 1970s to attend the university here, UCSC. Go fighting banana slugs, um, and and the town was and and still is completely magical for me. I mean, we have these glorious coastlines and redwood forests, and we have this rich history of agriculture and fishing and. And um, and now a really vibrant vibrant um, visual and performing arts culture. Not to mention, of course, the fabulous farmers markets and charcuteries and cheesemakers and bakeries and breweries and distilleries and restaurants. Perfect for me. <laughs> so you can tell I love Santa Cruz. Uh, and so I think of the books as sort of a love letter to my town. And I also think of the town as another character. So when I set out to write the books, I knew they had to take place in Santa Cruz. And I didn't want to make it a fictional town. I wanted to make it real because I love the city so much. And it, sometimes it causes problems, but mostly it's fun just doing, you know, walking around and getting inspired to use places in it. Um, and there's, so there's actually a little story uh, behind how I decided to use the town in the series. So I was, I'd come up with this idea to write this culinary series set in Santa Cruz. And um, and I know, you know, it's when I first moved here in the 70s, it was still kind of a sleepy little town. The university was new. Uh, there were a lot of Italian fishermen, as I said, and farmers and also retired people. But then with the university coming in in the late 60s, the town started to attract a whole new sort of inhabitant. And so we got students and hippies, then later on hipsters and techies because we're right next to Silicon Valley. And so at the time I was trying to come up with ideas for my mystery. I was, I was, um, well, the food revolution had descended full force upon the town by then. And one day I was wandering down the, our, our historical uh, fisherman's wharf and I had this idea. What would happen if a local Santa Cruz gal who, who's from one of these traditional Italian fishing families found herself caught between that old world and the newly arrived political crest uh, polit politically, excuse me, politically correct food movement. And I thought, yes, that would be the perfect backdrop for a, for a culinary mystery because it's always good to have a little bit of tension in the background. So that's where I came up with that. And that's great because it leads very nicely into talking about your first book, which was called Dying for a Taste. Right. And you had quite a lot of fun with 
Californian holy cows like sustainable and organic mm-hmm. farming and, and the Chez Panisse type of restaurants. And I can see now that you've explained the background where that would come in, that there's two worlds meeting, isn't there? Did you get a kind of reaction from the foodies to that? Um, yeah, well, it's a good question because, you know, I write, it's a light mystery that I see is falling somewhere between the cozy and the traditional. It's sort of, I call them snarky cozies. <laughs> And, uh, but, you know, when you're writing that style of book, you have to, you have to be careful not to come across as being too preachy or pedantic. I mean, I guess that's true for any book. Nobody wants to be preached to. Um, but, but the food movement and this conflict is, is very, it still is. It's a big part of our, of our uh, dynamics of our town. And so I did my best. I wanted to include it. Um, I wanted to make the book realistic, but I did my best to make sure that that aspect of the story didn't overwhelm it that it's more of a, I don't know, spice, if you will, <laughs> uh, yes. a glimpse into the yes. real life conflicts, but without coming across too heavy handed. Um, and, and, and thank goodness, I'm happy to say that in general, uh, the re- actually all, across the board, the reaction has been positive. I've never had anybody criticize the books for um, on that basis. So, so I, I guess I succeeded. Thank goodness. <laughs> That's good. Good. And you, you've mentioned already electric range. Sally is also an enthusiastic member of a choral group at one stage, and there's quite a lot of music in the books. In the last book, there's a lot of references to jazz, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit of art imitating life again. Because as you mentioned, you're a singer songwriter, and I think Electric Range is still recording, isn't it? Is it no, still going? Alas, no. Oh. I do have. I can see why you would think that because I just recently posted a, a, on my on my uh, author website. Um, LeslieKarstAuthor.com. Uh, there is a page of uh, as, of me being a songwriter, and there's a link to um, a place where you can listen to part of that album that we recorded in the 1990s, and you can buy the CD if you like. Um, and I, and which is fun, because I, I want to get it out there. I, I'm very proud of the CD, but alas, no. We broke up in the late 90s, um, and uh, and I haven't been, I haven't written any songs since then. But I do. Um, sing. I switched from <laughs> from from doing rock and roll and country to singing uh, alto in my local community chorus. Partly just because it's a lot easier. You don't have to lug around heavy PA equipment and microphones and set them up. You can just show up and sing. And uh, I had studied classical music as a youngster, and so it, it's fun to sing the great master works like Beethoven and Dvorak and stuff in a huge. We sing with our symphony, local symphony, sometimes, and that that's really a lot of fun. But Yes, I love music. I grew up on it, and uh, there is a quite a bit of music in my books. Uh, in yeah, especially in the second book where Sally joins a chorus, but a little bit in all of them. <laughs> yeah, in the in the last one, the jazz aspect of mm-hmm. it becomes part of the plot line at one stage. So, what do you enjoy most about writing? Now, how long have you been a full time writer now? Oh, um, well, the, uh, I retired from the law about ten years ago. And uh, I started writing immediately after that. Um, it took several years to, to get an agent and, and then a publisher. But I'd say about 10 years. But the first book didn't come out until it's been, what, six years, five years, something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What do you enjoy most about it? You know, I, um, I'd have to say I like writing dialogue the most, um, which I know a lot of people find that very difficult. But I, it, it comes easily to me. I'm... As I said earlier, I've, I've been obsessed with language my whole life. Uh, I've studied foreign languages. I, I love grammar. Um, and so I love listening to people's conversations around me 
and I pay attention to their phrasing and their accents, their use of vocabulary. Um, and, and when I'm writing dialogue, I, I just imagine that person and what they would sound like and, and how they would speak. Um, and for me, that's just a great joy. I love that. Uh, unlike plotting, which is very, very difficult. <laughs> that's the hardest part. Yeah. So do you start, do you do a full outline before you begin writing? I try to. Um, often they change on me. I once even had uh, my um, my my uh, murderer change on me midway through the book, which was rather disturbing. Uh, but yeah, I try to plot out as much as I can. I'm very, I'm an organized kind of a brain and doing the seat of your pants thing I find very, would find very stressful. <laughs> um, I saw somebody refer in a review to you as a polymath. I had to actually look it up. Do you think you are a polymath? Oh, I mean, I, I have a lot of interests. It's true. Um, uh, I'm just, a, I think, a curious person. I'm, I'm what they call a lifetime learner at our local community colleges. I'm always taking classes and learning different things. So so maybe, I don't know that I'm an expert in too many things, but um, <laughs> but I do, yeah, I do have a lot of a lot of different interests, and I do put them in the books because why not? It's fun. And, and so... Uh, I think Sally comes across that way as well. <laughs> That's right. And your most recent book, which is Murder from Scratch, you've got a, a, a important secondary character, Evelyn, who's Sally's blind cousin, mm -hmm. who comes to stay. And I thought you did that character beautifully because you do really get a sense of, a very tactile sense of what it would be like to be blind. And I, I wondered how much research you did for that part of the story. Yeah, I had to. Um, so what happened was I uh, I was spending a, an afternoon with a blind friend several years ago, and I was struck by how, at his house, how easily he was able to locate whatever he needed, you know, jar of marmalade in the fridge or, or, or in particular, uh, he wanted to play a CD for me and he, and he had all these CDs lined up against his wall and he ran his finger down them and he pulled one out and he put it on the CD player and it was exactly the one he wanted to play for me. It was a Tchaikovsky piece. And, um, I was amazed. I was like, how did you do that? And he said, well, you know, I'm just organized. And I, and he, and I, and I, and, I, and it immediately hit me. Oh my goodness. First of all, how much more reliant on their other senses a blind person has to be to get along in the world. And I'd never really thought about it in that way before. And it's so how organized you'd have to be in your life compared to somebody who, like me who can just rely on their vision to get by. And then I realized what a perfect setup that would be for a murder mystery to have a blind character who, by virtue of her heightened sense of touch, and so I'm, it's, I'm glad you focused in on the touch because that was part of it. How, how that person would be able to maybe discover clues that the sighted sleuth would miss. And so that's why I created uh, Evelyn to, to, and so she helps Sally um, with her, with the, with solving her mother's murder. You know, there's, okay, I'm going to add something here. You might, you probably never noticed this unless I told you, <laughs> but for me, it's fun. Each of my books in addition to being about food, um, which they're mostly about food and, and food and murder go together so well, but they each have um, one of the different senses as sort of a backdrop for them. And so the first one is obviously taste. And then the second one where she joins the chorus is hearing. The third one where Sally becomes interested in um, painting because the restaurant she's inherited is, is named after Paul Gauguin. And then this one is the sense of touch. Um, so where Evelyn's sense of touch helps her solve the murder. 
Um, so it's just kind of a fun thing for me to play with. I, I don't know how evident it is, it is, but yes. So that came out, that was a perfect thing for, for the touch one. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do for book five? Book five is the sense of smell. And, oh, yes. And, um, oh, yeah, and I actually never um, answered your question about the research, and I'll get back to that. But the, um, this is the sense of smell, and on the very first page, Sally wakes up and discovers that a sinus infection that she's been fighting off for the last couple of weeks has caused her to go uh, to lose her sense of smell, which, of course, for somebody who is a cook, cook in a restaurant and loves food as much as her is horrible. And so it's actually sort of the, the lack of the sense rather than the sense itself that plays a sort of just, they're just sort of, it's a background to the novel. Um, yes. and I'm, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a little more than halfway through writing that book. Uh, and anyway, getting back to the research for the blind character. So what, what I, once I decided to do this, I called this guy up and I said, can I come and spend a couple of days with you and just tag you around. I want to write this book and I want to have a blind character. And he said, yeah, that'll be great. He was really excited. And so he lives in Ohio. So I flew out to Ohio and um, spent a couple days with him. And it turns out he and his wife rent a downstairs room to another, uh, to a blind gal who's 30, who's li- closer to the age of the, my character. And the two of them were so gracious and lovely to me. And they let me t- uh, follow them around and watch them and see how they live their life. And the gal who lives downstairs, in fact, she wanted to cook me dinner. So she cooked dinner for me and I got to watch her cook. And so that's, you, you'll see in the book that Evelyn is a, it loves to cook. And that's based on actually watching this gal do that. So it was, it was wonderful. I could never have written the book if it weren't for their generosity and generosity of other people that I would call up and say, can I ask you questions about what it's like to be blind? And, and then I had people read the book. So I really wanted to get it right. I didn't want to, to, to blow it. And I'm happy to say that People generally have been very pleased with my portrayal of Evelyn. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, I was impressed about the cooking too because I'd never really thought about that side of things, really, to be honest. Um, yeah, so that and, – and particularly there's quite a tactile sense with the way you describe her making pasta mm-hmm. too. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that I did wonder, have you got any plans for a Sally Solari cookbook? Because – Every book does also give some wonderful recipes for those who might be interested in having a little additional bonus to their story. Yeah, yeah. Each book has four or five different recipes that are drawn from the book themselves. And that pasta recipe is, is in book five. Um, it, and it's based on a, an Italian, the grandmother of an Italian friend of mine uh, is, where, is where I got that recipe from. Um, you know, I, I've got, let's see, I've got, what, four books now? with five, So I only have about 20 recipes. Um, so I don't have enough at this point, but, um, but I, you know, if somebody, Hey, if somebody wants me to, to write a recipe book, give me a call. (laughs) It would be fun, but no, there's no, uh, right now there's nothing in the works, but, but, but I'm open to it. (laughs) And I presume you've obviously made all the dishes that you feature. Oh, absolutely. Well, all the runs that I write recipes for, because I have to, uh, I mean, you have to measure, I'm not a, I'm not somebody who measures you know, I'm a pantser. I may not be a pantser for writing, but I'm definitely a pantser for cooking. Um, and I sort of just add things and taste and go. And so when I have to come up with the recipes, I have to sit down and or stand and measure everything uh, and write it down and then redo it if it's wrong. And so I, cause you know, you can't write a recipe like that. Oh, just add a little of this till it tastes right. That's nah, not going to fly. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, it's it's fun. Coming up with the recipes is really fun. And as I write the book, um, each book, they each are in a different season. And so I um, I have lists of seasonal vegetables and seafood and things like that. And 
I, I'll get inspired, I'll read it and go, oh, these are in season and I'll come up with recipes in my head and, and then have them be the recipes that the, uh, that she serves at the restaurant. And then of course, then, then once I comes to running the recipe, then I have to like really go, okay, really, how do I make this and come up with a recipe? <laughs> but it's actually, I love that part of it. It's really fun. And you, and you really do make your own pasta. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's actually way easier than it. it it's not that difficult. Uh, it's a little bit of practice just so that you don't overwork it, kind of like making a pie crust. But um, yes, it's actually, you can do it really quickly. And it's so, you know, if you buy the the good pasta in the grocery store, it's so expensive. And, you know, if you make it yourself, it costs nothing. It's just all it is is eggs and flour. Yeah. <laughs> and if, yeah. Yeah, if you read that's the recipe great. in the book, I go through step by step how to do it. So, <clears throat> Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Turning to your wider career, Leslie, Tell us a bit more about your life before full-time writing. You mentioned you worked in the legal profession. What did you specialize in there and how has it influenced your writing? Well, I worked as a, a research and appellate attorney, which means um, you spend all your days in the law library researching the case and facts and, and the law and then writing briefs. Or uh, I wrote a lot of appellate briefs and I wrote a lot of research memos. It's kind of like writing a term paper every day of your life. Um, and and it actually, you know, it's funny, I hadn't originally thought this, but the more I thought about it, I realized that it, it really was a good preparation for becoming a mystery writer. Um, because, okay, one of the most important components of writing a good mystery, obviously, is the story, right? How you set it up, how you place your clues and your red herrings, how you characterize your protagonist and your suspects and your villain, of course. And the same is actually true in the law. So when you, um, like in a mystery story, how you set forth the facts of your case in a legal legal brief is is really really important. So you have to decide which facts to include and which to leave out. Obviously, you can't leave out really important facts. There's ethical component to consider, and so you can't leave out a fact just because it might be harmful to your client. But you, but how you present the facts, you have a certain amount of leeway with that, and that's obviously true in a mystery novel. You know, it's unfair to leave out information vital to the resolution of your mystery just you know because it might make it easier to guess. And so those are similar. And then also um, one really, another important part of uh, a, a legal case is how you tell the story. Which elements do you emphasize and what do you play down? Which obviously is similar to how you employ red herrings and clues in a mystery. And then there's your voice and your readability, re the readability of your book. Um, you know, with, with any great, as you know, as with any great novel, an attorney drafting a brief wants the judge to be drawn to the story and truly care about it. Uh, so it ended up that it actually was, I think, a, a really good preparation. <laughs> I would have never thought that. But, you know, I'm very you have to be very organized and detail oriented. And of course, like me, my character, Sally, is an ex-attorney. So I get to use a little bit of that law in the in the books too she she has those you know she's able to use her knowledge of wills and probate and trusts and things sometimes in helping solve the cases uh so i actually i think being a lawyer really was a great preparation for being a mystery novel novelist i'm not saying go to law school as a pre <laughs> preparation for that because it's a lot of work <laughs> but, but it helped me definitely <laughs> were any of the cases that you wrote about actually murders or were they more sort of in-depth things on rather more dry areas of law? Our, the firm I worked for was a civil firm. And, and so um, I didn't do 
murder cases. Actually, during law school, I did do an internship with the local public attorney. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, the uh, the yeah the the uh, the uh, public defender. Um, so I did do some criminal cases, but I never personally worked on a murder case. Nope. <laughs> Thank yeah. goodness. I can't yeah. even imagine how hard that would be to think about at night. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But is there one thing you've done more than any other that you see as the secret of your success in your writing career, that is? Is there something that I've done? You know, um, I think I think perseverance is the number one thing that I've done. Um there, you know, there are a lot of, there are so many people out there that are write beautiful manuscripts um, or are great writers and have the great talent. But uh, a lot of people, you know, they, they get to a certain point in their manuscript and they get stuck and they can't finish it. And you just have to keep going and work your way through it and finish the, finish the darn book. And then once you've got this manuscript, you have to hone it and rewrite it and and then you have to if you if you do the route I did which is to try to get a traditional publisher you have to shop it to agents and publishers and keep going after dozens or maybe hundreds of rejections uh and so I think I I know myself well I know that I do have perseverance and follow-through and I kept going after I had over 100 rejections from agents before I finally got signed with one and I just kept going I got discouraged but I just kept going and I think, yeah, that's I would. That's my advice to people. If you truly believe in yourself, keep going. Just keep doing it. I guess that when you were publishing first, just a bit less than a decade ago, the indie publishing field was a lot different from what it is today. But are you happy with your decision to be traditionally published? Yeah, I think I am because um, even though, you know, there used to be sort of a stigma about being independently published, which doesn't exist at all anymore, um, I just didn't want to do the work. <laughs> I didn't want to do the come up with the cover, and I didn't want to do the work of formatting the manuscript. And and uh, I, I'm just not interested in that. And so having somebody else do that for me was was wonderful. And that's the main thing. I, I think actually these days you make more money if you publish independently because you get a bigger cut of your book. Yeah, that is right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but no, I'm glad I went the traditional route. <laughs> it is a tremendous amount of extra work. There's no doubt about that. Look, turning to Leslie as reader, we called this series The Joys of Binge Reading because it's predicated a little bit around this idea of the growing popularity of series where people discover one book and want to read the rest of the series. Um, who do you like to read and who have you binge read in the past? <laughs> well, you know, I'm, um, I guess I'm kind of old school because my very, very favourite mysteries are those from the Golden Age. People like Dorothy L. Sayers and Agatha Christie and Josephine Tay, because um, that's who I was reading when I was in my teenager and in, in college. Um, but I, I also adore Sue Grafton, who's uh, in her series actually was kind of an inspiration for me to start writing, just because it it was sort of a blend between the you had the traditional uh, series, kind of like you know like like I was saying, like Agatha Christie, but hers were a little more hard edged. Uh, a little more snarky, shall I say? Yeah. <laughs> so I, she inspired me. I thought I, I want to write a character like Kinsey. So definitely was an inspiration. Um, but as for as for current writers, uh, well, okay, I'd be greatly remiss. I'm going to give a shout out for my fellow chicks on the case. <laughs> I have a group blog with these, and they are wonderful people. But I adore all of their books, and I recommend them to everybody. Uh, Ellen Byron. And uh, I'm all, I haven't written down here, so I wouldn't forget Becky Clark, Marla Cooper, Vicki Fee, 
um, Kelly Garrett, Cynthia Kuhn, Lisa Q. Matthews, and Kathleen Valenti. They're just fabulous writers, all of their series. So I, I would, and that's actually, uh, you know, every time they have a new book and there's a lot of them, I read their books. So I spend a lot of time reading theirs. <laughs> and what's that blog called? It's called Chicks on the Case. So you Google Chicks on the Case. And they're all mystery writers, are they? And we're all mystery writers and we all write between cozy and traditional, that, that genre. And, um, and, and, mo- and they all have a certain amount of humor in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the blog is really fun. We, it, we post three times a week. We take turns doing our own blogs and then we have guest, uh, authors as bloggers. And then we also have guests who are involved in the mystery writing community, such as, um, editors and, and other bloggers and, and, uh, We've had agents. So, yeah, it's pretty fun. I like it a lot. Oh, that's great. And are you a, me- a member of any other writer organizations? Do you network with writers? Absolutely. I joined Sisters in Crime back before I even finished my first manuscript, and I, I found that organization to be invaluable so much. The mystery writing community is so helpful and generous and warm, and it's I couldn't believe how great people were giving you advice and reading your work if you want them to. And so I, I recommend Sisters in Crime for anybody who's interested in writing uh, crime fiction. And and I'm also now a member of uh, Mystery Writers of America. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Look, we're starting to come to the end of our time together. So circling back and looking over your career, at this stage, if you were doing it all again, is there anything that you would change? You know, I can't think of a thing. <laughs> I, I'm pretty happy with what's happened to me. Uh, I guess that's good, right? <laughs> Very good. I can't, think of I can't think of anything that I would change. No. <laughs> that's lovely. So what is next for Leslie, the writer? Have you got some projects in the, in the oven, so to speak? I do. Well, I mentioned that I'm about uh, more than halfway, closer to two thirds of the way through the Sally Solari mystery number five, which I, I mentioned earlier, um, where she, well, one where she wakes up with her lack of ability to smell Poor Sally. That actually happened to me once. And so I'm, I'm able to draw on my own experiences. Thank goodness mine came back. <laughs> um, but, you know, I actually have something completely different going on right now as well, which I, I'd be happy to tell you about. Um, I had the good fortune about um, a little over 10 years ago to cook dinner for Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who uh, was a colleague of my father's, who was a law professor back in the 60s. And then they remained friends and colleagues over the years. And um, and so I actually ended up writing a, a, a memoir of that uh, experience, which is called Cooking for Ruth. And my agent is currently shopping that memoir. So I hope to get that published sometime in the not too distant future. Uh, I'm really excited. And it's about it's about the law, about obviously about Justice Ginsburg, but it's also very much about cooking. <laughs> uh, and so it's kind of combining my different interests. Um, so that, that's I'm very excited about that. <clears throat> Sounds great fun. I must admit I saw the movie, one of the movies on her just in the last six months and it was fantastic. Is she um, in, down in New Zealand? Is she the phenom that she is here in the United States? Perhaps not quite to the same extent, but there's certainly, you know, a group of people who really know of her and ad- admire her most definitely. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Mm. Good. Glad to hear it. <laughs> Long may she, She's may she remain. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, I happen to know she's, I've been in touch with her lately because my father passed away in April, and uh, so we've been corresponding, and she's still doing really well. That's I'm fantastic. Yeah, her. that's wonderful. <laughs> 
Look, you split your time between California and Hawaii, I believe. So tell us about that bit of your life. How does that work together? Well, um, uh, I've been going to, with my wife and I, we started going to uh, Hawaii back in the early 90s because my mother and father loved the big island of Hawaii. They spent a lot of time there um, and we started visiting them there. And um, we ended up, the four of us actually ended up buying a house together on the big island. And and now that once I retired from being a lawyer and Robin retired from her job, we started spending half the year there. Um, so we spend our, our winters and spring, basically, or late, late fall to through early spring in Hawaii, because we have such cold, miserable weather here in the winter in California. I know you all feel really sorry for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then the rest of the time I'm here in Santa Cruz. Um, and it's, you know, as far as affecting my writing, it doesn't, I can write anywhere, you know, um, it's, that's not a problem. So yeah, I write in both places. It's rather like the Canadians <laughs> fleeing to the south of US, isn't it? It's, it's a similar thing. Exactly. The snowbirds. <laughs> the snowbirds yeah, that's right. Yep. So it's been wonderful talking, Leslie. Uh, I gather you are active online, interfacing with your readers. You get quite a bit of reader feedback. I, I do. I mean, yeah, a lot. I uh, I get, as I said, I I uh, blog with the chicks on the case, and and it's really fun when people post comments and we can uh, comment, you know, interact that way. And I also have a website. Uh, if you just Google my name, Leslie Car, it's lesliecarstauthor.com. But if you Google my name, Leslie Karst, it comes right up. And um, and there's a contact. Uh, if you type a message in the contact, I get that as an email. And I'm, I love corresponding with people. If anybody ever wants to write me an email, I always will write you back. And I ha I'm on Facebook, of course, which is a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, it, I like, I like, a lot of people hate the social media stuff, but I actually think it's quite fun. I like posting pictures and chatting with people. That's great. <laughs> and what kind of feedback is common that you get? Uh, about my books? Yeah. You know, I Probably the number one thing I get is people write and say, I got so hungry reading your books. I had to stop and go make lunch, <laughs> <laughs> which, hey, that's great. I love that. <laughs> I, I, I must admit, I get hungry writing them. Uh, sometimes I'll be in the middle of a scene and I have to get up and fix myself something to eat, too. So <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> that's wonderful. And um, so with Sally, just getting back to Sally for a moment. So when is number five going to be coming out? I don't know because I haven't even finished it. Sometime, okay. I hope, next year. <laughs> and is there going to be a number six? I, you know, I hope so. Um, I have actually a part of a manuscript that I intended to be one of the second or third one um, that where Sally goes to Hawaii. Oh. And um, and I hope, I'm hoping that that will be number six, but we'll see. It's, uh, it's all very much up in the air. But if all things go as I hope, uh, that will be number six, yes. <laughs> and of course you can't give anything away but there's a definite feeling that something's going to develop with detective detective vargas does anything heat up in the next book with that <laughs> well you know um <laughs> may maybe you'll have to <laughs> i love that line with eric you know the the ex who wanted to get back together again and she's prevaricating and then as soon as he starts to so interest elsewhere she gets a little bit pippy about it so yeah it's really quite nice <laughs> isn't that the way life you know and that's kind of the way life always goes <laughs> it is exactly the way life goes yeah oh <laughs> uh, yeah I like to keep uh, yes I'm keeping everything in the hopper <laughs> so. that's great I don't want to give anything away <laughs> no of course not 
Okay, Leslie, look, it's wonderful to have chatted and I'll make sure that all of those uh, links get put into the show notes so it's easy for your readers to find you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Jenny. I'm so honored to have been invited to be a part of your fabulous, fabulous blog and and podcast. So thank you so much. (laughs) That's wonderful. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.